Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 15, a bonus episode. And joining me is Phil and Paulus. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Nice to have you on Thank again, Paul. Thank you for waking up on time today. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is 2pm here, so... Yeah, be a bit of a worry if I wasn't already awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thanks to Paulus for, for coming on. It's going to be a... An interesting show. We're actually going to start with a bit of a recap of 2017. We've just um, written a bit of a list of all the things that have been accomplished, and it's actually super impressive. So, if you want, you want to kick that off, Alice? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, we have had an amazing year for Home Assistant. Like, we've kept up our bi-weekly release cycle um, from like the beginning. So. We had our first release on January 14, as like every year we skip one release around New Year. Um, and we've done a release every two weeks. And so this weekend is going to be 24 releases done this year, um, which is very impressive. Um, it's, I think it's, if you think about like the, all the work that goes into a release where it's not only people adding new features and writing the code, it's documentation, organizing the documentation, helping to fix bugs, gathering the community around it, um, people making videos, people making podcasts to like talk about all these new features. I think it's one hell of an accomplishment. Absolutely. Um, and I think if we, if we look at like, you know, what this year has brought us just on like feature wise, I think definitely the biggest uh, change has been HasIO, right? Where we we build an operating system that, you know, you just flash it to your Raspberry Pi and your Raspberry Pi turns into its own home automation hub um, with the user interface to configure everything. We're still like, we're so early stage there and we have already achieved so much, but I, we have put out a platform and the platform has been amazing for other people to build on top of it because just like Home Assistant itself, Hasio was like built with extensibility uh, from the get-go and especially Frank has been doing an amazing job and, you know, he's been building this great, he's maintains the HasIO add-ons community edition and the add-ons are fantastic. Yeah. There's like Pi-hole, uh, Homebridge, uh, the cloud nine IDE, like that stuff. That was not anything that when Pascal and I started on HasIO, that was not anything we would have imagined that like, Hey, this is what we're going to, people are going to run on their Raspberry Pi. Um, and so that's been like really, really good. Uh, but I think just on user interface, like we, for the last, like um, in the beginning, we were always focused on developers, right? We had text files for configuration. We had, everything was always like developer focused. And that is kind of on purpose because by focusing on developers, you get a very narrow group of people interested in home assistant, but that narrow group actually knew when something broke, because of course not everything worked perfectly, how to be able to fix it and contribute these fixes back. And then also when they see the system and they miss a few pieces, actually contribute those pieces back. But with HasIO and actually before it already, we started to make this shift. It's like, hey, we want to we wanna reach more people, right? We want to reach like more, everybody is going to have home automation products in their house and everybody uh, wants to control these things. And, you know, very few people will have devices that all work together with one, uh, piece of technology and so there's a need for something like home assistant in everybody's houses and so we've been putting a lot of effort into like just user interface configuration um, 
great. I mean, it started all with the configuration panel, which was kind of like the driver of like, hey, now we actually have a place where we can put these configurations. And so we have the automation editor, the customized editor, the script editor. There is uh, the Z-Wave panel has shown up. Um, and now also uh, translations, right? Like all of a sudden, Home Assistant is translated in like a ton of languages and people are very active in contributing like translations for everything. And it's so cool to see that like, you know, we, again, we put in a framework in place where people can build up their translations and, you know, it just goes wild from there. And and that's just very impressive to see. The translations have been great. I think uh, it was mentioned in the last episode that there's uh, a Chinese uh, community for Home Assistant, um, which, you know, if just translating Home Assistant into Chinese will make that so much easier to get you know, more Chinese people involved and there'll be a ton of more like little communities in their own languages, you know, using Home Assistant that weren't possible before this yeah. translation. Yeah, the Chinese forum is very interesting. I've, uh, I have a Chinese colleague and so together we were browsing the forums because I don't understand anything of it, obviously. I don't speak Chinese. Uh, but it, it seems very active. It's, uh, they do very cool stuff. Yeah, it's fascinating that they've, you know, kind of branched off and, you know, have their own kind of subset of the community to be able to support their use, which is potentially a bit different from ours, um, especially with the restrictions they have on internet access and things like that. Yeah, and I, I think that, like, if you have a large enough user base in a certain language, then it also makes sense to create a community in that language. Of hmm. course, you're going to cut yourself off by, like, you know, you're it will be more difficult to learn from one another community uh, from communities in other languages. But if you have enough people, then you will also be able to reach a wider audience, right? Like there's so many people in uh, China that I guess, you know, chi- Chinese is their first language and English is their second language and they will feel more comfortable speaking in Chinese. And, you know, this is obviously not limited to them. I think this is all over the world and with these translations and, we're really like making like possible for more people to join in and enjoy home assistant. Um, I think the biggest challenge that we're going to have, and they actually reached out, the Chinese forum reached out to me to see if we could like help with that is how do we make the documentation that we have, which is like thousands of pages by now, how do we make this translatable? Like how do we allow people to contribute like Chinese versions, for example, of the documentation and honestly i've uh, we're based on jekyll and any any change to the system is going to take a long time because there's just so much content that we have um but that's definitely one thing that we you know if we want to embrace more language communities in different languages around home assistant this is something we have to tackle yeah it's a big job (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, it's, it's a I good mean, point. This, this is also, I mean, this is not a new problem, right? There's no. like hundreds of products out there. And so there must be a solution that we can like pick up and see if that solution can be adapted to our current documentation or the other way around. Mm. Our documentation adapted to the solution. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So those are the main things from your list. I think themes is the other thing, isn't it? Which is, It's all been UI, which is quite nice. Um, and, you know, has definitely been helping with your move towards making it a bit more user-friendly for non-developers. Yeah, and I, I think we see a trend here. I think we are, like, I, I would say 
if I look like long term, the the future of Home Assistant is going to be all evolving around the user interface to do the configuration. Um, I, it doesn't mean that I want to get rid of the YAML files, right? I think that the way we do it now is that our configuration writes to YAML files so that people that want to just write their configuration in YAML, they can still do that. But if you just want to use the user interface, you can do that too, right? So you have the best of both worlds. Mm, absolutely. But you don't see YAML going anywhere soon? I don't see YAML going anywhere anytime soon. And I think there's two very big benefits of YAML. Um, one is that it's text-based. Um, and, you know, because... And the, the benefit of text-based is that it's very easy to share, right? Like we can copy-paste automations around and you copy-paste in your configuration and it's easy to share. And if you if we would switch to like a database format or something that some people have suggested, the problem is how am I going to convert this? Are we going to like, then we have to make like an export format that other people can import again, which how is it different from YAML? Yep. Um, and so speed-wise... YAML is a little bit slower, I guess, than we would have a database, but it, it's not, um, it, the difference is neglectable. And the other big benefit of being a text-based format is versioning, right? If I can, if people, a lot of people are using Git to uh, keep track of their versions of their home automation, and that means that you can go back, you can look at the differences between like, how did my automations look like? last week and how does it look now what has changed and why doesn't it work anymore right it's way easier to debug yes yeah, so, uh, you just have to search for home assistant configuration on um github to see how many people are actually using it and people are using you know issues and everything that's built into github as part of their automation workflow even you know continuous integration people testing you know that their configuration is valid and it's just awesome to be able to do that and yeah, switching to a binary or a database format would significantly limit that. Yeah, and so that's like, I think that even though our focus will be more on like the wider, broader public, we should not ever like lose track of like our, you know, our developer user base because they not only built very cool stuff at Home Assistant that like, you know, is good for promotion, but also, you know, they fix bugs. They will like contribute back in like code yeah exactly all right um so that's 2017 and a, a bit of you know future looking is there anything else kind of future looking your your hopes and dreams for the project that you want to share on this podcast uh yeah actually there's uh one more thing and uh you all touched upon it already in uh in a podcast episode like two times ago two episodes ago i think but it's going to be our new uh, cloud component. Um, yes. <laughs> we're going to call it Home Assistant Cloud. And um, we're going to introduce this um, starting with release 60 uh, or 0 0.60, I have to say, uh, which is going out this weekend, um, December 16, December 17. Um, yeah, December 16 or 17. Um, and it's going to be awesome. Um, so the way it works is that we will, uh, the Home Assistant Cloud is based on accounts. So you have to make an account for Home Assistant Cloud. Your local instance will then connect to the cloud and do nothing. So you're just waiting there, uh, having a connection open. And by having this connection open, all of a sudden we can start representing your instance to other services in the cloud. And we can, whenever a message comes in from a service for your instance, we have a connection open to your instance. We can send the message 
and then your local instance can process the message uh, however it sees fit. Um, and so the first uh, service that we are testing this with and what's going to be part of the launch is going to be Alexa, um, hey. and specifically the Alexa smart home skill. And this means that you will be able to, starting version 60, and you, if you start from scratch, you have the cloud component enabled by default, or if you enable the cloud component, you can go in the user interface to the configuration panel. You will guide, it will guide you through the flow to create an account and then um, verify your email address and then uh, log in. Once you're logged in on the Home Assistant site, you can go to the Alexa skill store uh, in the Alexa app. Um, and so just to be clear, Alexa is the Amazon Assistant that runs on the Amazon Echo. Um, and so you will go in the Alexa app, you can find the Home Assistant skill um, when you activate it, it has to link your account with the Home Assistant Cloud. So you'll connect, you'll log in, and that's it. Um, at that point in time, you can just start controlling Home Assistant from your Alexa. And what it means is that you can say, first, you have to say, Alexa, discover devices. This will mean that you can, um, it will query Home Assistant for the devices that are uh, compatible with Alexa. And after that, because it's a smart home skill and not a normal skill you don't have to uh, prefix it with the name so you don't have to say alexa ask home assistant to turn on the kitchen light instead you can say alexa turn on the kitchen light and when that happens alexa sends a message to our cloud endpoint the cloud will send a message to your instance and then your instance will turn on the light or turn off the light send the result back to alexa it's very cool yeah and it, it works yeah, and <laughs> it works very well um i've been beta test well private beta testing it a little bit and it just works um yeah and I, yeah. I think what's really cool is that we make a connection to the cloud from your instance instead of the cloud reaching out to your instance so this means you don't have to open a port on your router for example you don't have to configure your router if you are you know behind a very tight firewall you can still start home assistant and still have alexa control it so that's something that uh, a few people have been running into troubles with, you know, having to have an SSL certificate for home, opening up like a, a duck DNS and getting all that working correctly and then renewing certificates every three months. With this new cloud component, there won't be any need for that at all. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yes. The only thing is that you'll need uh, to be connected to the Home Assistant cloud and everything will just work. Yeah, just work. <laughs> uh, I, I always laugh a little bit when people say that, but yeah. The, my experience so far with it has been that it's just that and that's super important and it's this is such a continuing thing for this podcast is making it accessible to the masses we only introduce it now with just Alexa support and I think the biggest challenge whenever you introduce like a new service is like laying a solid foundation right and by getting Alexa out and we're only we're going to launch the open beta. I had, sorry, I haven't said it, but it's going to be the open beta that we're going to launch uh, this weekend. And the, um, it's that the open beta will only, right now, we only have an Alexa skill published in the US. Um, we're obviously working on getting this to other um, regions of AWS, of Amazon as well, to work with the uh, localized Alexas. Um, but having the foundation in place means that adding new services in the future is going to be a lot faster. Um, and we have we have a whole list of like, like cool ideas that we can start uh, adding to the Home Assistant Cloud um, because there's just so many services that just require a cloud endpoint. And once we have one, 
we, we open up a whole new world of services that we can integrate. Um, the biggest um, next step is probably going to be the Google Home, Google Assistant smart home skill. We already have support for it in Home Assistant. So we only have to set up like an OAuth flow and connect it to the Home Assistant cloud. But for example, the Alexa shopping list also has an API. So we could, whenever you add something to your shopping list in Alexa, immediately have it be added to Home Assistant. And then you can start automating whatever you want uh, based on the fact that something has been added to your shopping list. That is like number one priority for me. Get that out there now. (laughs) I want that yesterday, pretty much. I think it will be so cool. It's like, oh, you add like fruit to your shopping list. Well, the next time you're close to the farmer's market, we can send you a notification. Um, Or you're adding candy to the shopping list. Well, when you're next to your favorite candy store, we can send you a notification. Yeah, I like that a lot. My memory is terrible. So, um, you know, there's the... There's the fruit and vegetable shop. Buy it there rather than spending a fortune on it at the supermarket. It's it actually yeah. be incredibly handy. But the cloud is going to open up um, also a lot more uh, cool things that uh, probably there's going to be a lot of things that we haven't thought of today that we're going to um, support. So one thing that we're looking into is allowing a generic HTTP cloud endpoint. So if you have if you're building an application and you want to send messages to your Home Assistant instance, you can use our cloud API endpoint to route messages uh, to the local instance and get uh, an answer back. Maybe in the future, we can even go as far as like, hey, you can just look at your front end and we route it all through the cloud endpoint. That's currently not like, that's definitely not like a short-term uh, roadmap because it just will generate a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, another... Sorry, there's a- similar services oh. that do that already. Um, I know, for example, uh, with Synology, you can uh, access the admin backend from your house using like their um, quick connect domain name. So I think it's definitely something that is a, a good goal to have. Yeah, and I think for you know a duck DNS domain name. Yeah, well, the idea would be that you don't need duck DNS at all, right? You would not de- the the user shouldn't have to think about like how do I register dynamic DNS? How do I get SSL certificates going? How do I open a port on my router? Um, all these things are unnecessary steps that can be resolved by having the connection be made from the instance to the cloud instead of from the cloud to the instance. Yeah, and it's it's um, so, yeah so much more secure as well. You know, people that don't a hundred percent know what they're doing, opening ports and things like that. And there's as you can see from Shodan, there's so many Home Assistant installs that are not protected out there on the internet. Yeah. And that- Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy video lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it though is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy video lock, that's E-U-F-Y video lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door.
That's something that I really like. The problem is that right now we, you know, it's, we allow, like we kind of allow this, right? Like we say, hey, we, we tell them set up a password, but people always think nobody wants the cares about my house. I'm not going to set up a password. Um, but if people would connect through home, to Home Assistant through the cloud, then um, they can, you know, they need a username and password because otherwise the cloud will not make the connection for you. And so you will have that. Um, we will be able to enforce like, hey, you need a username and password to connect to this. Um, and another thing that we can do once this cloud is here um, and we have these people like connecting to it is uh, we can do HASIO backups. So we can offer mm. automatic encrypted backups of your configuration in the cloud. So if your Raspberry Pi goes corrupt, if like, or you want to like bootstrap a second Raspberry Pi, you would just flash SIO, you log into the cloud, you say, restore my configuration and you'll be up and running again. Are we good for versions as well? You know, oh, I've made a mistake. Go back seven days to my last save point. Yeah, no, definitely. I like that. Um, and so... <clears throat> Um, one thing to note is that the the cloud is going to be completely optional. I think that um, I've talked to people and some people will be like, you know, and we already had this with HASIO. It's like, oh no, are we going to not be able to just install Home Assistant wherever I want? Do I need to use HASIO? And the answer is no, you can still install Home Assistant instead of HASIO. You will just be losing out of some of the functionality, some of the things that we're building because we're, we're leveraging functionality that's made possible by HASIO or by the cloud. And so the cloud is going to be the same way. Like if you don't want to have a seamless, like easy integration of Alexa, you can set up Haska. You can set up like your own Alexa skill. You're not bound to using uh, the Home Assistant cloud. But if you don't want to worry with like, you know, um, configuring things, if you don't want to maintain your own infrastructure in AWS, then, you know, you can use Home Assistant cloud. and It will be faster to uh, get started unless so it sounds like it's um if the developers still want to go in and tinker and run their own custom code or whatever home assistant is still going to support that this is literally just a shortcut for people that don't want to do that yes exactly yes and i think this has been the philosophy also of home assistant right we want to make it super extensible and like every piece of that runs in home assistant has the same uh, privileges as the custom piece of code that you can add to your home assistant to run. And we will not like force people to use home assistant in a certain way. If you want to like disable some pieces and like puzzle around your own workflow development flow and your own data flows, totally possible. All right. So some questions that Phil's come up with. Um, do you want to give us a bit of an outline on why, uh, have we talked about charging for it? Actually, I don't think we have. So come 1st of March next year, um, it's going to be a $5 monthly fee for HA Cloud. Do you want to kind of you know, give people a bit of an idea of why you have to charge for that? Yeah, no, totally. Um, so one of the, uh, yeah, so Home Assistant Cloud will start as an open beta and will be freely available till March 1st. Um, starting March 1st, uh, we're planning to charge $5 a month. Um, and the idea behind this is that we want to be able to support the project. Right now, we're open source, uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't make any costs. Home Assistant is actually um, relying on a few people that are like paying the cost for our forums right now, paying the cost for like the emails that our forums send out. Um, 
or even here on the podcast, the the data of the podcast, like the, the, tra- the data transfer costs money. Um, and so we need to get to a point where a home assistant can fund itself, right? Like we don't want people that are already volunteering and like putting in like sometimes up to 40 hours a week into a project to also like have to put in their money uh, just to keep the project going. And as home assistant is growing at like very fast, it's not something that's just sustainable. And, you know, there's different ways of monetization and I'll go into a few that we have like explored and then decided not to. Um, The first one is donations. Like why don't we take donations and then make everything free? And the problem with donations is that it doesn't offer a continuous revenue stream. And if we don't have a continuous revenue stream, but we have continuous costs, then what are we going to do? Are we going to go Wikipedia style, like back for donations? Like have the UHS banner? Are we going to, and what if we don't have enough donations coming in? Are we just going to turn everything off? Or are we just going to, is it again up to me and other developers to pay for it? just to keep it afloat. Um, and so if we want people to make uh, more commitments to home assistance, like for example, have people work on it full time, we need to have a uh, revenue stream that we can like guarantee upon. And subscriptions is the way to go there. Um, another option that we have explored is advertisement, right? And so, yes, we can add like all over our documentation fill it up with advertisement, all of our forums, like, you know, after the first post, have like a big banner of some ads. Um, But there's two reasons why I don't want to do it. One, a lot of our users right now are tech savvy, so they'll just install an ad blocker. Um, And the second is that home, and this is more important, is that home assistant, we care about privacy, right? Like one reason some of us, uh, probably a lot of us are using home assistant is because our data is not in the cloud. Our data is local and uh, Processing is local. Um, and this is a privacy uh, thing, right? Like if all your data is in the cloud, the company will know about your data. And if a company is running low on money because uh, they're not selling enough products, but they do have all this user data, then is a company saying, oh, I'm going to go bankrupt or are they going to like mine your data or sell your data? And I think this is where with advertisements, we would be giving away our users' data and that's not something... I think is in line with the vision of the project. Um, but that leads us to uh, a monthly subscription. I think um, it's, you know, we have, um, it's very reasonable. We have a lot of servers running for Home Assistant. Um, you know, the costs are being made and being able to uh, donate back to this community will keep this community alive. And, you know, this money will obviously go into Home Assistant, but we'll also, for example, be able to compensate you guys for like that you make for your podcast. like. That's something that, hey, if there's enough money coming in, that's something we can start uh, uh, compensating for. Yeah, there's a, it's amazing. People don't, I guess people don't quite realize, you know, all the, the, just the little costs here and there that add up so much for these kind of projects, hosting and, you know, maybe you need to buy a piece of software to write something or, you know, people buying all this hardware, home automation hardware to test and build components. It's just so many little things that add up and yeah, having community support to, you know, produce this product is is gonna be great. And it's such a small amount for so, something that you you know you run your whole house on. And you, know, you can you see all yeah, you know, the what are the was it Homeseer? The 
thick commercial product that you spend yeah, that's the, five or six hundred dollars on for the you know the the reasonable package it's yeah it's a pretty good deal <laughs> yeah and i do want to emphasize that like you know the cloud is optional right like mm. home assistant free open source has io free open source right and it wouldn't also it wouldn't feel right to charge for that like this is like the work of like you know over a thousand contributors like this is yeah. not like you know we can't just package this up and like sell it no we want to you know the reason we want to do something like the home assistant cloud is that we will charge money but we actually will provide you a service for it as well exactly it's a bit like um you needing a spotify premium membership to use the spotify component in home assistant yeah totally um, so it's going to be $5 a month. Do you have plans on how people will be able to pay for that? Will it be like PayPal, credit card, anything like that? Um, so we're going um, to work with Stripe. Um, and Stripe uh, has a bunch of payment options. Um, I think they even support Bitcoin right now. Although with the current craziness, the <laughs> trans- transaction costs are not going to be feasible to pay small amounts. Um, but yeah, I know with Stripe, we have a lot of flexibility and it also means that we are not storing the credit cards, right? They will um, just for like BCI compliance and all these things. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, with Stripe, we can do monthly subscriptions. We can do yearly subscriptions um, and these kind of things. And so if someone signs up for the beta today, will they automatically be subscribed on March 1st? Will you need a credit card number to sign up for the home no, 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 no. That's... That would be horrible. I always, I always hate those trials where like right. you can only sign up for a trial if you enter your credit card number, and then if you forget to cancel, then like yeah. your subscription will end, uh, like or like you'll be charged once the trial ends. Um, so no, uh, today signing up, zero credit cards involved, um, and <laughs> to be honest, that's also because we still have to build out that part of the home <laughs> system cloud, uh, <laughs> right? So I was, uh, you know. I wanted to get this out there, right? I wanted people to start using it and like, you know, seeing what it can do. And I think giving, you know, our existing users three months or like two and a half months, I guess, uh, to uh, explore and see if this like is something they're willing to pay for. I think it's also a good test for us to see, you know, and it will also allow us to add some more functionality. So by the time we start charging for it, it's not just Alexa in the United States that works, but there will be some more uh, added things uh, that we can, uh, some other extra services like maybe Google Assistant or if this, then that integration. Sounds good. Um, what else have we got? Uh, what what device types are going to be available for the, at the moment, the Alexa Cloud integration? Um, so we already, let me just, I'm going to read this from uh, the documentation. A uh, funny story, like the Home Assistant Cloud has been part of Home Assistant uh, for the last like one and a half months. Um, <laughs> and you guys know, you guys were in the private beta. Um, but we have, uh, so the documentation has also been online. And actually, if people had Googled Home Assistant Cloud, they actually, the second hit, I think, was our documentation. <laughs> and even some people in the forums already found like our Alexa skill and have been like signing up on that side. Um We've had a few people in our uh, Discord room also uh, pointing that out as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, every time the cloud came up, I just um, said nothing um, because I didn't want to like have to lie to people or be like, "Not now." Just yeah, you know, I just ignore them. Um, but yeah, so what is going to be supported? Um, the available domains are alert, 
automation cover light fan with group lock media player scene and switch um but for locks unlocking is disabled um this is based this is a protection that amazon has put in place right now uh, for fan we support on off and setting the speed and for media player we support play pause stop set volume adjust volume next track and previous track excellent and i think uh things like climate and cover they're not available yet are they uh cover is uh climate is not correct okay um, um with the to... cover sorry with the cover are you able to close like the blinds i thought that was a restriction on amazon as well Ooh, i don't know because i don't have any alexa controlled blinds uh, but we should uh, check okay. this out um one thing that i've been what i love what i'm doing now is that whenever i'm somewhere and i'm like demoing home assistant um i bring my amazon want which is this like Amazon Echo device like allows you to scan barcodes, but it has an Alexa on it that if you click, you can talk to it. And so then I can open my computer and I have the I can say Alexa, turn on party mode, and then on my computer it will open YouTube with like a party song. <laughs> That's awesome. One of the ideas that we're having is that because we have a cloud endpoint, we can start making a very easy uh, OAuth flow for certain components because. Right now, in Home Assistant, we have a few components that require you to authenticate through OAuth, mm. OAuth 2. And the problem with OAuth 2 is that the way the flow works is that we create like a token inside Home Assistant. We send you out to a provider that you want to authenticate with. This can be a Google or a Fitbit. Then you log in there with your Google account. You say, yes, this token is valid. I want to, um, I want to grant them access. And then... In this case, Google would redirect back to your local instance to tell your instance, hey, this code is uh, okay. This person is uh, authorized. However, if you are using Home Assistant, they are, you, know, you, ha- you have to set up your own domain. You have to set up. It's actually pretty tricky to get your whole OAuth flow set up. You have to register your own skill with Google or with Fitbit. And so one of the ideas is that we can offer this through the cloud because we have a cloud endpoint and we will be able to offer um, having, you know, for example, you go to your account page, you say, connect my Fitbit account. We, you go through the flow to connect your Fitbit account. And the next thing you know, we can automatically set up the Fitbit component inside Home Assistant with the authorization that we get from the cloud. Um, and this is a very cool, another one of the many functionalities that we unlock by getting a cloud endpoint. And this is something um, that if we would add this, this is something we would not charge for because, hey, this is just linking an account, right? This is um, not really using the Home Assistant infrastructure that much. Um, and when it comes to it, like, if, you know, I, I think when I look at Home Assistant Cloud, I'm very much like inspired by Plex. Uh, I think they do a lot of things right and they put out a great product. Um, and if you look at Plex, they have, uh, their paying members always get the features like first, and then eventually it will trickle down some of them to like the free version. Um, and I can see this maybe happening with Home Assistant in the future. So maybe eventually, maybe Alexa will get free if we have other features that are a reason to like keep uh, people supporting the project. Um, I'm not going to make any promises here, of course, um, but this is something that, of course, we're also looking at. And I think as this is a new project. This has to like grow. We have to see how the community will 
interact with it, how the community likes it and what works and what doesn't work. And we'll have to just keep adjusting. And I think in the end, you know, when you run a business, it's uh, important to keep your customers happy, the ones that are paying. Um, and so, I mean, if that's, you know, we have to make sure that we add enough value for people to be willing to pay for the cloud and to, you know, support the project. Um, because the way I see it is that the initial batch of people that will sign up to the cloud are the people that like love Home Assistant and want to see Home Assistant succeed and want to see Home Assistant grow. But the second, like, those are kind of like the low-hanging fruit like customers will get. But the second batch of customers that we want to get, they're way more difficult to uh, convince, right? Like, why would they sign up? Like, they don't really care about Home Assistant. They could go to Wink or SmartThings. And, and not be charged a monthly fee for it. Or, yeah, I guess it comes down to you have to give people value for money and a point of difference. Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, that's something we'll have to be constantly evaluating as we go. And I think I have, I have faith in uh, Home Assistant and I have faith in that we will be able to pull it off to create like a sustainable project that uh, can take care of itself. So I think when money uh, is concerned, people sort of, uh, they, they get a bit concerned, oh, hang on, Home Assistant's going to start charging money. I think it's important that we reiterate that you know, Home Assistant is remaining open source. It's going to remain free. It's only the cloud features that are going to become the part of the $5 monthly fee. Um, and that those features that are part of the cloud do come with their own costs as well. Um, the Alexa skills require, you know, AWS hosting, so they're going to have fees. So I think it's, you know, in this case, it is justifiable. There are going to be fees with the cloud platform for, you know, maintaining the platform. So I think it's fair that, you know, it's only $5 a month, I think, you know, it's reason. I think it's a reasonable fee, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think so too. Of course. <laughs> um, and one last thing to note is that, like, you know, an alternative strategy that we could have explored was getting like an investor on board. And you know, a home assistant has been approached by investors in the past. Um, but the problem with investors is that the way investors they want you to really focus on just getting growing, growing daily active users. And they want like a return on investment. And again, with that, the you know, the most investors will push you to like start, for example, selling the data that we like uh, might have access to or that we could get like, you know, we could get access to. Right? Because I wanna I just said it wrong. We we don't have access to your data, but like, you know, what if Home Assistant Cloud could grow into something that would have access to your data? That's something that investors could push us towards. And it's something, we, again, that we don't want, right? Where we want people to, you know, it's all about local. Um, and the cloud should be, at most, be just a relay of messages. And we don't want to store any data because that means that we're also not responsible because we're not able, we're not able to lose it. So then we have less responsibility. Sounds good. Um, just on the uh, Fitbit and OAuth cloud stuff, um, you mentioned that uh, you would be able to use the Home Assistant cloud infrastructure to get the tokens and do all the OAuth flow. Is that something that would be made available to other Home Assistant developers if they wanted to integrate with a third-party service that required OAuth authentication? Could they develop on the HA cloud platform to allow people to link in that way? Yes. Um, we obviously haven't built this yet or even have architected that, but I would consider this, yes. So we want to be able to, I think that, you know, we have Discovery currently running locally and it, will, it really helps people get bootstrapped with Home Assistant. 
And I think that allowing you to connect all these accounts will be like the next step of like bootstrapping, like a lot of data flowing into Home Assistant quickly. Um, so that totally as many components as possible, we should want to, um, you know, allow people to link their accounts. I think we would probably end up like the way we have the component page right now in Home Assistant, where we have like our featured or like most likely components to use. We might have like, these are the most likely accounts that you want to connect, but like have a little bit this long tail of like small services that still support OAuth and that people might want to use and that we will still definitely support, uh, allow people to add support for. Excellent. Is there anything extra you wanted to add, Paulus, before we wrap things up? I don't think so. I think we have covered everything. Um, yeah, I just hope that uh, people are just ex- as excited as I am for this uh, new step. And I think it's a big step for the Home Assistant project. And I hope that we will be able to, uh, you know, become sustainable. And I hope we'll be able to, you know, become even bigger and better and more impactful in the future. So I think we can just... Uh cover off the highlights so as of uh 0.60 we are you're introducing the home assistant cloud which will be in open beta until march 1st 2018 uh after march 1st 2018 it will be a five dollar subscription which will cover the cloud integration for things like alexa and google assistant correct everything else remains business as usual home assistant free hasio free no other changes it's only the five dollar fee if you want to opt in for the home assistant cloud yes 100 percent correct and Home Assistant Cloud is a component just like everything else, so you can turn it on and off however you like. So if you don't want it anywhere near the cloud, you just remove cloud from your configuration or you know, don't edit, it, and you're all good. Yeah, and because it's a component and because all the processing of messages is happening locally, you can also just you know look at it. Like, what kind of messages do I receive? What kind of like code will be executed based on commands from the cloud? Yeah, absolutely. It's the wonderful thing about open source is you can get right in there and see exactly what's going on. All right. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Another great episode, and I'm going to immediately go and edit this because we've got quite a few people waiting and waiting, and I've had a message while we've been recording going, is it done yet? Not quite. but So I'm going to go off and get this edited and uploaded and, yeah, put everyone out of their misery. Exciting year 2018, I think, is going to be for Home Assistant. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yes, definitely. Awesome, guys. It was great talking to you. Uh, thanks Thank for coming you on. Us. Um, just a reminder to our listeners is that you can email feedback at haspodcast.io and we will respond to your feedback on the show. We have two items of feedback sitting in the mailbox, which we'll talk about next week. And thanks for listening. <laughs>